Last week, we considered the miracle of the Son as a historical fact and as a fulfillment of a prophecy. We sought their accounts published before the miracle happened, mocking the predictions, through their testimonies, written, taped, and filmed from massive numbers of over 70,000 witnesses. Many witnesses, of course, were not believers. We saw their photographs of the crowd viewing the miracle. We saw that there are distant witnesses who could not possibly be accused of being under the influence of some sort of group hypnosis or suggestion. We saw that since both the miracle and the prophecy of that miracle, three months in advance, are verifiable historical facts, then it's obvious that both of these can only be explained as the direct acts of God himself. We consider the miracle in itself as an unmistakable confirmation that Our Lady had been speaking to the children and as an apocalyptic sign. We concluded that because God never acts without a purpose, that when he performs a miracle of unprecedented proportions, it's a sign pointing towards a message that is of itself of unprecedented importance. So we want to spend some time considering the message of Fatima, but before we do that, Let's spend some time talking about revelations in general. There are two kinds of revelation. Public revelation and private revelation. Public revelation are contained in the scriptures and the traditions handed down by the church. This ended with the preaching of the apostles and is binding uh, for belief on all. Particular private revelations are constantly taking place among Christians. Okay, so the two types of revelation are public and private. Before we turn to private revelations, we'll focus briefly on public revelation and on the relationship that exists between public revelation and the virtue of faith. Now, faith is a supernatural power that most of us here receive when we're baptized as little babies. It is a special kind of intellectual power that gives us the ability to accept that whatever God says is true. We may not see how everything fits together. We may not see how one particular truth fits together with another particular truth or with other things we've seen elsewhere. But even if we can't see how it all fits together, we still believe it because he's God. Faith is a supernatural power that gives us the ability to believe things because he said so. So with faith, we believe it. We believe it if God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. That's the power that faith gives us. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. As a dogmatic constitution on the Catholic faith of the First Vatican Council infallibly teaches, quote, faith is a supernatural virtue. A virtue is a power. Faith is a supernatural virtue whereby, under the inspiration and assistance of grace, we believe those things revealed by God to be true, not because the intrinsic truth of the things has been perceived by the natural light of reason, but because of the authority of God himself revealing. Close quote, Vatican I. Notice, again, that we believe not because the intrinsic truth of the things is obvious, but because God said so. That's what faith does, and it's easy to prove this, actually. We believe, 
All of us here believe that there are certain men that can take pieces of bread and whisper words over that piece of bread. And that piece of bread becomes a man, and that man is God. That is not obvious. That takes faith. It takes a lot of faith. It's a supernatural gift that's been given to us. This is not obvious, but we believe that. We all believe that. We have to believe that to be saved. And that's why we're here today. Because we believe that. So faith is a supernatural power given to us by God by which we believe everything He says is true. Whether we see why it would be that way or not. Okay, so what do we believe with the superpower, supernatural power of faith? We believe all the truths which the Holy Catholic Church teaches. I refer to Vatican I again. The dogmatic constitution on the Catholic faith infallibly teaches, quote, so that we could fulfill our duty of embracing the true faith and of persevering unswaveringly in it, unwaveringly in it, God, through his only begotten Son, founded the church, and he endowed his institution with clear notes to the end she might be recognized by all as a guardian and teacher of the revealed word. Close quote, Vatican I. God, through his only begotten Son, founded the church as the guardian and teacher of the revealed word, so that we could fulfill our duty of embracing the true faith and of persevering unwaveringly in it. Notice what this means. It means that our Lord established a visible church of true teachers. He established a visible church of true teachers. He did not establish an invisible church of true believers. He established a visible church of true teachers, and because he did that, it's easy for us to know what to believe. We have to believe all the truths which the church teaches. In other words, we believe everything contained in the deposit of faith. The deposit of faith is also known as public revelation. I refer to Vatican I again. Quote, By divine and Catholic faith, all those things are to be believed which are contained in the Word of God as found in Scripture and tradition, and which are proposed by the Church as matters to be believed as divinely revealed. Close quote. Vatican I. The deposit of faith closed. Public revelation ended with the death of the last apostle, St. John. Finally, why do we believe all the things contained in public revelation? Because God said so. That's the reason. Remember that faith is a supernatural power that was placed into our intellect that gives us the ability to accept whatever God says is true, whether or not we understand it. As the dogmatic constitution of the Catholic faith of the First Vatican Council infallibly teaches, and I quote, since man is wholly dependent on God, as his creator and Lord, and since created reason is completely subjected to uncreated truth, we are bound by faith to give full obedience of intellect and will to God who reveals. 
not because the intrinsic truth of the revealed things has been perceived by the natural light of reason, but because of the authority of God himself who reveals them, who can neither deceive nor be deceived. Close quote, Vatican I. Okay, quick review. We've considered the relationship between faith and public revelation, which ended with the death of the last apostle. We've seen that faith is a supernatural power that gives us the ability to accept whatever God says is true and to believe it. We've seen that we are bound to believe everything found in public revelation, which is also known as a deposit of faith, and that is all those things found in scripture and tradition which are proposed by the church as matters to be believed as divinely revealed. We've seen that our Lord established a visible church of true teachers, and he did not establish an invisible church of true believers. And precisely because our Lord established a visible church of true teachers, it's easy for us to know what to believe. We simply believe all the truths which the Holy Catholic Church teaches. We've seen we believe these revealed things, not necessarily because we can see they're true with the light of our own natural reason, but because of the authority of God himself who reveals them. Now let's turn to private revelation. Writing some 60 years ago, Father William G. Most noted, quote, At the outset, we should note that there's a difference between public and private revelation. Public revelation is that which is contained in Scripture and tradition, and it seeks with the death of the last of the apostles. As a result, all revelations since that time are considered private since they do not form a part of the general deposit of the truths of faith. Okay, so that's an important point. Private revelations, all the revelations since the death of the last apostle, St. John, are not part of the deposit of faith. Back to Father Most. Private revelations, hence, will not supply us with any information or directives that will alter or contradict what is found in public revelation. All the means that we need for salvation are contained in public revelation. Okay, there's another few points that are important. Private revelations cannot supply us with any information or directives that are opposed to that which is found in public revelation, and everything we need for salvation has already been revealed. That's in public revelation. See, it would be blasphemy to suggest that God forgot to tell the apostles anything. It also be blasphemous to, to suggest that God suddenly thought of something that we need to know. It's not possible. Okay. But if these sort of revelations, private revelations, don't supply us with any information or directives that are opposed to public revelation, and if all the means of salvation are already found in public revelation, what on earth is the point of a private revelation? Cardinal Burke answers this very question while speaking of a particular private revelation. Please listen carefully. Cardinal Burke. In the last century, our Lord Jesus granted a private revelation to Sister Maria Faustina Kowalska. The purpose of the private revelation was to draw us to the fullness of the public revelation of the Father's immeasurable love of all of us in His incarnate Son. As with all private revelations, the private revelation of Sister Maria Faustina draws us to recognize the public revelation of God's love and the redemptive incarnation of God the Son. Close quote. Okay, so the purpose of the private revelation was to draw us to the fullness of this public revelation 
of God's immeasurable love for us and His incarnate Son. And as the Cardinal says, all private revelations draw us to recognize a public revelation of God's love with us in the incarnate Word. So what is the point of a private revelation? The point of a private revelation is to draw our attention to and help us enter more deeply into some aspect of public revelation, which in itself, of course, revolves around the Incarnation. So it's to draw us to and help us enter more deeply into public revelation. Father Most has a few more remarks that can help us keep all these in perspective. Quote, Although private revelations, if declared genuine by a lawful authority, may prove very helpful to spiritual growth, we must also keep, always keep in mind that visions and revelations are only means to an end. They are not the proximate means of union with God in this life. The proximate means are faith, hope, and love. Growth in holiness is growth in sanctifying grace in love with God. Close quote. So once we see that, we see that we have to maintain a healthy balance. On the one hand, insofar as any particular private revelation helps us to grow in faith, hope, and charity, then it's a wonderful and blessed thing to have in our lives. But we can also see how preoccupation with private revelations could actually be a hindrance to our growth in holiness if we allowed it to draw our attention more towards signs and wonders and, and away from closer unity with Him. Okay. Now some private revelations are meant only for the recipient. For example, we often read in the lives of the saint, they get a particular private revelation meant to encourage him to go into religious life or something of that nature. Other private revelations are meant for all mankind. We think of the, the messages of the Sacred Heart to St. Margaret Mary. We can think of the Divine Mercy. We think of Fatima. Before we consider what level of belief can be given to private revelations, let's first ask what sort of approval by the Church is possible in the case of private revelation. Now, to answer this, we'll rely on a theological tract on Christian revelation by Father Michael Nikolov S.J. Now, uh, it's, I'll just quote the approval of revelations. I'll use the Latin terms here for the different types of approval and give a translation. I, I'm not sure any. It's, it's available, readily available in Latin, that's what I translated from. I'm just not sure if this step is readily available in, in English. So I'll, I'll use the Latin term and then I'll tell you my translation. I just don't know if there actually are terms in English. I, I'm not aware of them. So I'll give you the, the straight translation, but that's why I'll use the Latin one just so we're precise. Quote, the approval of revelations. Private revelations are not approved by the church with approbatione canonical, canonical approval, which pertains to public revelation, the contents of which are found in sacred scripture and tradition. But they are certainly able to be approved with approbatione permissiva, permissive approval, if reading them is permitted, or with approbatione negativa, negative approval if it is declared that nothing contained within them is contrary to faith and morals. Or solemnly approbatione negativa, solemn negative approval, if before beginning the process of beatification of some servant of God, it is declared that nothing contained within his writings is contrary to faith or morals. Or finally, approbatione positiva, positive approval, if the divine origin of some revelation is expressly taught. For example, this divine origin is often spoken of and affirmed in documents of the magisterium, 
treating of the revelations made to St. Margaret Mary. See, for example, the encyclical of Pius XI on Reparation of the Sacred Heart. And we see this approval of other revelations, such as Our Lady of Lourdes. But in these approbazioni positive and positive approvals, the supreme magisterium and absolute infallibility of the Church is de facto not engaged with respect to the reality of the revelation. Nevertheless, we temerarius, now temerarius means rash and reckless and heedless and thoughtless, we temerarius and imprudent to deny these without a sufficient reason. Close quote. I'll go down that list again without all the other, just getting uh, make it clear. All right. First point. Private revelations are not approved by the Church with approbazione canonica, canonical approval, which pertains only to public revelation. That leaves four other possibilities. Number two, private revelations may be approved with approbazione permissiva, permissive approval, if reading them is permitted. Number three, private revelations may be approved with approbazione negativa, negative approval, if it is declared that nothing contained within them is contrary to faith and morals. Number four, private revelations may be approved with slim approbazione negativa, solemn negative approval, if before beginning the process of beatification of some servant of God, it is declared that nothing contained within his writings is contrary to faith and morals. And finally, number five, private revelations may be approved with approbazione positiva, positive approval, if the divine origin of some revelation is expressly taught by the Majesty. In this last case, of the itinerarius and prove it to deny these without a sufficient reason. Now, there are a lot of good Catholics who seem completely unaware of these distinctions. Probably it might not be readily available in English. Anyway, they seem unaware also that the fact that a private revelation, if it has positive, uh, positive approval, that they could commit sins. Not against the faith, which doesn't pertain to the faith, but they could commit sins, nevertheless, of temerity and imprudence to deny them without a sufficient reason. Certainly sins against piety, too. What level of belief can be given to private revelations? There are two possibilities here. Uh, on the one hand, it's a question of recipients. Uh, what, what level of belief is required by St. John Bart, or St. Margaret Mary, or St. Catherine Siena, St. Carstine, the Children of Fatima, and so forth. Another question is, what about the rest of us that hear about them? We're not going to worry about the question with regard to the recipients. There's a lot of interesting information on that, but it doesn't it, it, it be too far, of course, today. Okay, so what level of belief can we get to private revelations? Cardinal Bona, uh, writing in, in, the, in the 18th century, answers, quote, private revelations, even private revelations which merit the approval of the Holy See, are not believed with divine faith, but believed with human faith according to the rules of prudence or from a spirit of trust and obedience towards the church. Close quote. Now this should be obvious from everything we've already seen. Remember, the gift of faith is given to us precisely so we'll have the ability to believe everything contained in public revelation. But private revelations, by definition, are not part of public revelation, they're not part of the deposit of faith, so we don't believe them with divine faith. Okay? We believe them with a human faith, which is the same thing when we believe questions of history, for example. They don't give us any information or directives that are opposed to what is found in public revelation. The point of a private relation is to draw our attention towards and help us enter more deeply into some particular aspect of public revelation. 
But having said that, we must also be careful not to lump all private revelations together in the same category. We should remember if the church has approved a particular res uh, revelation with positive approval, like the revelation to the Sacred Heart of St. Margaret Mary, or those of Our Lady of Lourdes to burn death, or those of Fatima to the three children, it would be sinful to marry and imprudence to deny them without a sufficient reason. So, if Blessed John Paul II said that the appeal made by Mary our mother at Fatima is such that the whole church feels obligated to respond to the request of Our Lady, and the message imposes an obligation on the church, since as we've seen, the obligation here cannot possibly pertain to the faith itself, then the obligation referred to by our previous Holy Father has to be understood at this level, at the level of human prudence. And all that being said, time for some precautions. When we're dealing with private revelations, we have to be very careful. We went through the four levels of approval, and then there's stuff that isn't even approved yet. So you have unapproved, and then you have the four levels of approval. We have to be very careful. In the first case, speaking for each one of us individually, we must never desire to personally have a vision or revelation. And should we somehow experience one, we should reject it. Why? The great mystic and doctor of the church, St. John of the Cross, explains, quote, The devil rejoices greatly when a soul desires to receive revelations, and when he sees it inclined to them, for he then has a great occasion and opportunity to insinuate errors. By the rejection of evil visions, the errors of the devil are avoided. And by the rejection of good visions, no hindrance is offered to faith, and the spirit harvests the fruit of them. I'll read that one again. By the rejection of evil visions, the errors of the devil are avoided. And by the rejection of good visions, no hindrance is offered to faith, and the spirit harvests the fruit of them. It is clear, then, that the essential apprehensions of visions cannot be a means to union with God. Close quote St. John the Cross. The great mystic and doctor of the church, St. Teresa of Avila, makes comments very much along the same lines. Quote, I most earnestly advise you that you never pray nor desire visions or revelations yourself, though it may appear to you to be very good. No one should seek this for several reasons. For example, such a one is certain to be deceived, or is at least in great danger of delusion, for a door is thus left open to the devil. And when people strongly desire a thing, the imagination makes them fancy they see or hear. Close quote, St. Teresa of Avila. Now in this regard, Father Moses also makes some important points. Quote, the dangers of diabolical interference are very great. Many cases are on record which the devil appeared in the guise of our Lord. And let me parenthetically insert that here. And Our Lady too. If you're familiar with the history of Lourdes, whilst Our Lady was appearing at Lourdes, all of a sudden, there were all kinds of false apparitions, dozens of them in the region around there. Why? Because the devil goes, uh-oh, we've got to make this look ridiculous, so he's appearing all over the place to distract people from the actual one. And some of them are pretty convincing. I'll back to Father, Father Moses. Many cases on record in which the devil appeared in the guise of our Lord, and even gave true prophecy and urged people on to virtue. The devil is willing to tolerate some real good, so long as he has hope of accomplishing greater evil 
ought to be a fair in the long run. A large number of cases of alleged visions are probably diabolic. Sixty years ago, Father Boyce pointed out that many cases on record in which the devil appeared in the guise of our Lord gave true prophecies and even urged people on the virtue. It's like a chess game. He is willing to tolerate some real good, to sacrifice a bishop if he can get a queen. A large number of cases of alleged visions are probably diabolic. My friends, if that were true 60 years ago, it is certainly true today. We have to be careful. Back to Father Moses. It is clear that our attitude to private revelations must be marked with great caution. Above all, we should adhere closely to whatever directives the authorities of the church give in any particular case, never daring to act contrary to them. We should never act contrary to the decisions of the authority of the church. This is true even if we should think that we have better than the usual hearsay reports on alleged revelation. It is true that the local bishop is not infallible. But let us remember what our Lord told St. Margaret Mary, quote, I love obedience, and without it, no one can please me, close quote. That's the sacred heart. Even if the bishop in charge should make a mistake and reject true vision, we, in following him, are guided by obedience, without which no one can please God. We must be careful not to let our spiritual lives center about private revelations must diligently preserve an attitude of submission to the ecclesiastical authorities, for pride in one's own judgment in these cases can easily lead to contempt for authority. Close quotes. How we need to heed that advice. The first thing when we hear of some apparition that hasn't received approval is to check into what the local bishop has said about the alleged private revelation. Please note, in these matters, it doesn't matter if the bishop is a liberal or a modernist or what have you. If he's acting as a bishop, he's a bishop. When a liberal says mass, it's still mass. It can be pretty horrific with the circumstances on it, but the power resides in the person, whether or not he's a particularly good person. This is another a kind of error that the devil induces into people's minds. Well, the local bishop is this, that, and other. It may be true, but that has nothing to do with the fact that he's rendered a decision on all these things. We need to listen up. Our attitude to private revelations must be marked by great caution. Above all, we should hear closely to whatever directives the authorities of the church give in any particular case, never during that contrary to them. Even if the bishop in charge should make a mistake and reject a true vision, we in fine are guided by obedience without which no one can please God. So if we've been following a particular private revelation, then we find out that the local bishop has rejected it, what ought our attitude to be? Perfect peace. We should walk away with perfect peace. We didn't know better, now we do, so we back away in perfect peace. That's the Catholic attitude. I want to interject a little anecdote here. I have a, uh, someone that I know very well who's actually in a committee to commission for a bishop to study a particular apparition where 
allegedly are waiting to prove to this, this pious good man there was supposed to be something built at this time we already had in the neighborhood of a quarter million dollars donated for it. The commission studied all the leaded meshes and all and so forth. They came back, we don't see how this could be supernatural. Now that's just advisory to the bishop, because the bishop thanked him and said, that's what I've discerned in prayer too, I don't think it is. Now here's the Catholic aspect of it. He told the gentleman that I, I don't think this is a true apparition. The guy said, I thought our lady was talking to me. It's clear she isn't. He gave the money back. That's the Catholic attitude. That's the correct attitude. You're certainly not going to offend heaven by obeying. Even if the bishop in charge should make a mistake and reject a true vision, we in following him are guided by obedience without which no one can please God. And on that note, and fully recognizing that some of what I might say now may cause some dismay, I will read from excerpts of statements of several local bishops regarding so-called apparitions in their respective dioceses. From the November 4, 1986 letter of Bishop Francis Mugavero of Brooklyn, I may have mispronounced it, quote, I, the undecided diocesan bishop of Brooklyn, in my role as a legitimate shepherd of this particular church, wish to confirm the constant position of the Diocese of Brooklyn, that a thorough investigation revealed that the alleged visions of Bayside completely lack authenticity. In consultation with the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, I hereby declare that, one, no credibility can be given to the so-called apparitions reported by Veronica Lupin and her followers. Two, the messages and other related propaganda contain statements which, among other things, are contrary to the teachings of the Catholic Church, undermine the legitimate authority of bishops and councils, and instill doubts in the minds of the faithful. For example, by claiming that for years an imposter folk governed the Catholic Church in place of Paul VI. Close quote. There's much more in this letter. Regarding Magdorik, over the past 30 years, there have been many statements by the two bishops. We'll limit ourselves to two. And you can go on the website and, and you can get stuff. You, you don't have to read Croatian because of the English translations of, of different things, but it's easy to Google the bishop's name. In 1990, Bishop Zanuck issued a statement concerning a Franciscan priest, Father Vega, who was dispensed from his vows and expelled from the Franciscan order by a direct command of Pope John Paul II as a result of his immoral conduct. Now, his immoral conduct is outrageous. I can't uh, mention it from the pulpit. If you, just think of Luther. If you know a lot about Luther, think of Luther. You're on, you're on task. Anyway, uh, as the bishop points out, the whole time Father Vega was living an outrageously scandalous uh, life, uh, he's still saying mass, etc., etc., etc. The seers claimed that Our Lady had appeared to them on 13 occasions, saying that Father Vega was innocent, that he was as entitled to celebrate mass as any other priest, and that the bishop was harsh. Well, this is outrageous. There's no way Our Lady would say something like that. Number two, in October 1993, issue of the Diocesan Journal, Bishop Radcliffe Parrott stated, quote, The bishops of Yugoslavia at a spring meeting at Zara on April 10, 1991, dutifully declared, On the basis of studies, it cannot be affirmed that supernatural apparitions and revelations are occurring. This is an exceptionally clear ecclesiastical ruling, and is a rebuttal of the claims of all those who claim to have seen the gospel everywhere and at any time since 1981. 
If after serious, solid professional investigation, our bishop's conscience had the courage to declare that Magicori's apparitions are not supernatural, in spite of mass historic conditions to the contrary, then it is a sign that the Church, even in the 20th century, upholds the truth and keeps it safe. 1st Timothy 3.15. I affirm this unequivocally. Close quote. Let's close. The dangers of diabolical interference are very grave. We've seen that many cases are on record in which the devil appeared to guys of our Lord and our Lady and even gave true prophecies and urged people on to virtue because he's willing to tolerate some real good as long as he has a hope of accomplishing even greater evil in the long run. A large number of cases of alleged visions are probably diabolic, but it's clear that our attitude to private revelations must be marked by great caution. Above all, we should adhere closely to whatever directive the authority of the Church gives in any particular case, never daring to act contrary to them. Even if the bishop in charge should make a mistake to reject a true vision, we in following him are guided by obedience, without which no one can please God. We must be careful not to let our spiritual lives center around private revelations, we must diligently preserve an attitude of submission to the ecclesiastical authorities in these matters. For pride in one's judgment in these cases can easily lead to contempt for authority. Let us pray.